nine of the DNC podcast. We've got a fun slate ahead of us today. We're going to be very prospect centric. We're going to talk about the NBA draft, October 15th, who are Cole and mine top prospects entering the NBA draft. We're going to also look ahead of time to the 2021 NFL draft and talk about our top five quarterback prospects, the most important position in football, who's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. How's your Monday going, man? It's fantastic. And as we talked about last week, with sports being on the brink of coming back, I, I couldn't be more elated just because we have dates now where we've got structure in place. We're going to be able to talk about on future episodes of stuff that's actually happening in current sports, not just policies and seasons and different structures of seasons. We're actually going to be able to dissect games and players, uh, go over statistics and analyze all that fun stuff. So that makes me super happy. But uh, this Monday has been great. How about yours? It's been great, man. Things are like slowly but surely starting to open back up. Um, going to be able to go to a restaurant pretty soon. So I'm excited about that, man. Yeah, it's a game changer. We've actually been able to go to a few restaurants and to support our local businesses. And it's been nice. And obviously there's social distancing with tables. So you'll see that all the waiters and waitresses are wearing masks. But other than that, you're able to eat out now. So I'm excited for you to get to experience that. Yeah, it's amazing all of the things that you uh, you take for granted. Speaking of taking for granted, normally for me, I'm a huge prospect guy. So I actually, one of my favorite things about watching sports isn't just watching sports, but I love looking at college prospects, basketball, football, and thinking, what can this guy become? And so for me, looking at this NBA draft, in my opinion, it's one of the least exciting, I would say, in probably the last three to five years. I don't see a Zion in this draft. I don't think see a Carl Anthony Towns. But I do see a few players who I think have the potential to maybe not be a franchise cornerstone, but they can definitely be a role player on a team or a contributor to a championship team for, say, the next five to seven years. Who, in your opinion, would you put at the number one prospect entering next year's NBA draft? Yeah, so for this upcoming draft, I think Anthony Edwards has the most upside, but he also has the lowest floor. So he's still super raw, as are all the prospects we're going to really talk about. But you see his athleticism and his ability to create shot as his greatest assets going into this upcoming draft. But he is a little undersized, and he, again, is super raw. So his game got to develop a lot from from high school to college, and you see why analysts and college coaches are lobbying for players to go to college to develop, because it essentially is the minor leagues to the NBA. Now, of course, with the G League, you're seeing players go straight into the G League. There's a few guys that have already done that for this year, but we'll have to see how that plays out over time if that actually becomes a formidable farm system for the NBA talent. But with college right now, they have such they've, they've had such a long-going structure and system in place for these players to not just only develop, but to be a part of these huge college towns for basketball. You look at like Duke in North Carolina and Indiana, these schools that, uh, Kansas, that are rich in basketball history that they're able to play in front of these large hostile crowds and get somewhat of a resemblance to the NBA. And so I think there's a lot there that matters, but with Anthony, the thing is, is that he goes to Georgia, who's really not known as a basketball powerhouse per se. So he really got a chance to be the focal point of their offense. And so you got to see some of the rawness and the ability of what he could potentially become at the next level. But my, my knock on him is that if he doesn't develop his outside shot more, if he doesn't become a finisher at the rim, 
He's really just going to be an athletic guy. Like we saw that early on with Zach Levine, and I think he's really learned how to play basketball and develop his game. He's become, I think, one of the young budding stars in the NBA now. But early on when he came out of UCLA, he was just super athletic. And he didn't really have parts of his game where he went, that guy could potentially be a star in this league. But athletically, he was so so much superior uh, to his, his colleagues that you were like, okay, if this guy can put this whole thing together, he's got the athletic ability and he's got the shot and the ability to finish at the rim, play defense, all of those things that now you have a guy you can build around. But I agree. I don't think he's necessarily going – now he has the potential to be a franchise player, but I don't necessarily see him evolving into a cornerstone piece like you mentioned. Yeah, I think the whole Georgia situation for me is a bigger question mark. It reminds me of a guy who played at UCLA – sorry, USC a few years back, O.J. Mayo. Star yeah. prospect coming out. I think, though, him playing at USC, he developed a lot of bad habits because it was right. kind of like, hey, you're the guy, do what you do. And I feel like Anthony Edwards has kind of been put in that situation where you look at a lot of guys who historically have gone to Kentucky or have gone to Duke, and they're playing with other really good players, and they have to learn – not just how to like throw up numbers because through whether it's college basketball or the NBA, there's a lot of people that can put up quote unquote empty numbers, but does it actually, you know, go to a win? And so right. I think the biggest question mark for me is are you gonna be OJ Mayo who, you know, had a few 30, 40 foot games but never like submitted himself in the NBA? Or will you be a guy like Victor Oladipa who he's never gonna be a top ten player in the NBA, but he could be a top five shooting guard as he continues to develop his jump shot and all the way he can affect the game, whether it's, um, you know, ball handling or defense or rebounding and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think he's, he's a big question mark, but from what everything coming out of Georgia, he's a hard worker. He's a great team player. Physically, he's a specimen. He's a little short for his size, but he's 220, very, very, very physical when he can attack the basket. So he's going to be interesting to see. Uh, number two for me, I have James Wiseman. So obviously only played two or three games at Memphis. Very limited limited sample size, but in those few games, put up great numbers, 19 and 10. For me, I think, and I think you made this a great point in pregame, is the biggest question mark is how instrumental is he going to be with the shift we've seen in the NBA? Um, I think the thing he has going for him is he's extremely athletic, but he's also very, very lean. I think that's what's scary for me. It makes me think of guys like Nolan's Noel who played at Kentucky, who he was so thin he couldn't really stay healthy. Anthony Davis obviously has turned into an, a freak in the NBA, but he also gained 50 pounds. How many players are going to put in the work to gain 50 pounds? But if he does, the potential, I think, is, is off the charts. Yeah, to me, if he had more of an offensive um, firepower about him that was more developed going, you know, like a, like a Carl Anthony Towns that you mentioned earlier on in the show, he coming out of Kentucky was so skilled as a big man that you were like, that's a modern-day big right there. Like, he was the runaway number one pick. And the reason why James Wiseman is not the number one pick for the runaway is simply because offensively he's so underdeveloped. For, for this modern-day NBA, you have to be an offensive force. You can't be just a guy that's going to body and get down low, get boards, and maybe give you 15 a night on putbacks. Like, you've got to be a skilled big man. I mean, you look at – uh, Nikola Jokic in Denver. You look at Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. You know, um, I know Porzingis has not been the player he was earlier on in his career, but um, these guys are skilled. They can shoot the three. They can they can they can hit 15 foot jumpers. They um, can play with their back to the basket. I mean, there's 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 so much versatility. And the thing with James is that 
like you said, elite size, elite athleticism, but is he going to be able to develop offensively? Now, again, he's super young, so he still has time, but in today's NBA, I mean, if he doesn't develop offensively, is he going to be Rudy Gobert? And I think Rudy Gobert is an elite defender. I don't necessarily see James Wiseman as an elite defender, at least at this stage in his career. So it's going to be interesting to see. But my number two is different. Um, so my number two is a guy that I think, you know, we'll be able to talk about this because I know he's your number three. Um, and James was my number three, so we swapped. But uh, So the next guy for me is LaMelo Ball. Now, I think in any other draft, there's no way he's in the discussion for the number one overall pick at all. But this draft is not deep whatsoever. There's a lot of talent, but it's very raw talent. There's, like you mentioned, there's no runaway number one pick. There's no Zion. There's no Jaw. There's no Carl Anthony Towns. There's no Anthony Davis, LeBron, et cetera, et cetera, going so on and so forth. So I think that you look at this fit for LaMelo as far as the draft's concerned, and it couldn't be better for him. What do you think about LaMelo? I think LaMelo is, in my opinion, the biggest question mark because I think the the range he could be potentially for me is just so drastic. I haven't seen something like this in years. I think, you know, if you grow up in, in the social media, you know, era that we have where you, you see clips of him in high school where he's pulling up half-court shots, you're like, oh, my gosh, this, this is the best basketball player I've ever seen. And then he obviously goes and plays overseas, doesn't play um, – in college, which isn't necessarily a red flag when you look at a guy like Luca, who came to the league, never played in college, and is arguably a top 10, top 5 player now. For me, I think what scares me about LaMelo is I just don't know how good of an athlete he is. I think in in some ways, you know, he's a good ball handler. He scores a lot of points, but his shot's broken. Is that going to be able to translate in the NBA when you're playing against first-class athletes to me, I don't think it is. I see him as a, a Sean Livingston S player, an oversized point guard from a size standpoint, still somewhat right. limited physically as far as a presence on the court, with a little better of a jump shot, but he's gonna have possibly have to, you know, recreate a shooting form. And so for me, I think he has way more potential to be a bust than he does to be a superstar. And in my opinion, if he doesn't have the last name Ball associated with him, with everything his dad's done from a brand standpoint, obviously Lonzo was a top two pick to the Lakers. Now he's on the Pelicans. I don't even know if he's a first-round draft pick. I think the name helps him out tremendously. Yeah, you made a lot of great points there. And I think alluding to the fact that he is a Ball does matter. And it shows the ability of LeVar to market his sons. I mean, the fact that LiAngelo is in the G League, it's a testament to that because I don't think he should even be anywhere near the NBA, but that's a whole other conversation. But in regards to, to LaMelo, the, the only upside or the only positive that I see to his game currently is that he has great size and he has great playmaking ability. But outside of that, for a guy that's 6'6", 175, pounds, he's going to have to put on weight. He can't play at that weight. He's going to get absolutely shoved around. And so um, if he doesn't develop his three – and he doesn't develop his shot in general, then his ability to play in transition, which is one of his strong points, isn't going to be as effective or impactful on a, on a team. So I think when you look at his overall ability from what you see on paper, you would think, man, this is ideal for a point guard, for a modern-day point guard. they got to be 6'6", 175. But in a guard-driven league where guards are primarily great shooters, or if you're going to be an elite guard in this league, you do have to be a great shooter – 
um, and he doesn't possess that at this time. Now, again, he can develop that, but we talked about this in pre-show that his shooting form, just like his brother's, is going to have to be tweaked. I mean, he shoots with two hands. It's like a little kid who doesn't have enough strength to shoot a basketball, and that's what it looks like. And so I think the, the, the other benefit to point out, though, to him going to Australia was he was playing against some NBA, former NBA talent, and so he got to match himself up against some of those guys. And so I think from that standpoint, what you're going to see with LaMelo that is a, a, a huge benefit is that he has been in the spotlight and in the limelight for quite some time. He doesn't shy away from it. It's not, not really too big for him, and I think that's important, especially if he goes to a bigger market. I know the Knicks are reportedly really interested in him. So if he does go to a market like New York, which is the Mecca, then he's not – He's not going to struggle as much with the spotlight as maybe some of these other guys would. But overall, if he goes to that dysfunctional franchise who, who really, other than R.J. Barrett, doesn't really have much around him, where he's going to have the pressure and the, the burden to carry that team, I don't think he's ready for that. So if he can go somewhere where he has time to develop, um, I think he can become a really good player in this league. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I see him more as a much higher probability of him becoming a bust in the NBA than him actually becoming a star. Um, but for him, it's a huge benefit that he's a part of the 2020 draft because there's really no runaway number one pick, and he's benefiting the most from that, I think, other than, uh, among these other prospects. So number four on my list, I have Unyeka Akungwu out of USC. So for me, this guy is physically dominant. 6'9", 225, kind of reminds me of an old-school Amari Stoudemire, not as he was developed on the sun as far as, like, a great pull-up medium range, but super athletic, can really be a presence in a smaller NBA, but he's athletic enough where his size isn't, like, a, a limitation for him. And so, for like we've mentioned throughout a majority of this podcast, a lot of the guys are so raw, so you're just looking at, like, their athletic ability – Played at USC, didn't have a lot around him, put up some really solid numbers. So I think in a weaker draft, he has the potential um, to possibly a guy that a lot of GMs would like as far as like an undersized five, uh, a modern-day four. Kind of reminds me of Bam out of Miami, who's really been great in transition, great in the pick and roll. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes in the draft. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, Bam's a great comp. Um, I also even think of guys like Paul Millsap or Al Horford, like undersized you know, those tweeners, those, like, center power forward guys. Um, but he put up really good numbers at USC. I mean, he averaged a little over 16 points a game, you know, uh, close to nine rebounds a game. So he put up good stats. Um, he's incredibly athletic. He's great in transition. He's a really good rim protector, great instincts and length, um, plays plays really good uh, defense. And, and so I, I look at the modern-day big man. We were talking about James Wiseman earlier, and I think Onyeka Akunwu – looks more like a modern-day big, and I know he's undersized, but I think, again, as we talk about the NBA as it stands today, he fits it. He fits the mold. He fits the build. Um, I mean, you're seeing the Rockets go small. So this is kind of the trend of the NBA, and again, I'm not opposed to having a big center, but if you're going to have a center that's big, you want a guy like Cap. Um, and so I think Amari's a great comp. If he can go somewhere where um, it's a high-octane offense. It's fast-paced, like you mentioned, the old uh, Mike D'Antoni Suns, where they're able to get him out in transition. He can play the pick-and-roll. I think he can be highly effective in this league. But um, it's going to be, again, as we always mentioned, it's going to matter with him especially. 
um, as it will with all of these guys. But I, I, I would say he's one of the safer picks, in my opinion, of this draft. I think he's somebody who's going to be very solid in the NBA for years to come. Yeah, and kind of closing out our, our top five, for me, uh, for number five, I have Obi Topin from Dayton. Now, for me, he's, I think, the safest prospect. I think what hurts him is the age. You look at a guy who's 22 years of old, 22 years of age, and for in, NBA GMs, they love getting guys at 18, 19, that they can just – you know, see a potential of 12 years career. Like how often does that really happen? Not too often. But for me, this guy's super safe. 20 points a night, eight rebounds, two assists, 63% from the field and shooting 39% from three. Like in this NBA, you look at the size, 6'9", 220. He can kind of do it all. Now, does he wow you athletically? No, but he's a good enough athlete to, to play in the NBA level. He kind of reminds me of a, a throwback David West back when he was on the the Hornets back in the day with Chris Paul, where he was athletic, pick and pop, could play in transition. Do I think he's ever a guy that is going to, you know, you're going to shape your your whole team around? But as we've seen so many times in, like, the NBA Finals, you know, your game plans for a LeBron James or a Kyrie Irving, when you can have that third guy step up and make shots for you, help you in transition, I think that's what takes your teams to the next level. So for me, he's a safe guy that I think out of all these guys, He's probably the guy that I'm. I'm say I would bet the most on that he's going to have an eight to ten year career. Now, will he ever be a superstar? No, but he could be a really solid guy for for the foreseeable future for for a team that possibly takes him. Is there a better name in the draft than his? Honestly, I think it's it's a legendary name. Um, but I have, I have a different prospect. I went with Cole Anthony out of out of North Carolina, the point guard, and. Because we're harping on it being a guard-driven league, he's a guy that, in my opinion, he's very athletic. He's got good size. Not great size, but he's 6'3". So you look at a guy like Steph Curry, he's 6'3", 190, fits essentially the same body build as, as Steph. And then he's really capable of making tough shots. Now, the issue I have with him is that he doesn't get to the rim enough. He's, he's not a guy that finishes well uh, in the paint, and so – in this league, you can make, and Steph has proven that, you can make a career out of being a perimeter shooter. But if you're if you're going to look for a guy to build your team around, which the point guard is essentially the quarterback of your franchise, is he somebody that is not only going to elevate the, the play of, of those teammates around him, is he going to be somebody who is, a, is at least a formidable passer, who gets guys involved? Is he going to be able to shoot the ball at a very high percentage, not only from three but from the field in general? Um, and I see him being that, but he, to me, is one of the more raw prospects in this draft, as we've reiterated number, a numerous amount of times throughout this whole segment. But um, when I, from the eye test, he's the guy that I was going to say for the eye test because when I watched him play, he was somebody that took over games at one of the top schools in college basketball. He played in front of some of the biggest crowds. We didn't get to see it. We didn't get a chance to see him play in the NCAA tournament per se, but I loved what I saw from him. He did get hurt, so is that going to be a question that he's going to have to answer at the NBA level? I don't know. Um, but if we're just talking about pure basketball talent, I think he's somebody that won't be necessarily a cornerstone piece, but he could be a starting point guard in this league for the next ten years, who could be on championship teams. He might just not be you know, the second or third best option on your team. Um, but I think with the pedigree he has, with his dad being an NBA 
player. It, it's there's a lot there to love, um, but as we mentioned, just the rawness of these guys is what makes this so difficult to project. And so we kind of just have to take it for face value for what these guys are. Yeah, real quick before we uh, we shift over to the uh, the quarterback prospects, you made a really good point pregame that you kind of alluded to in your last point was the whole NCAA tournament not happening, no March Madness. I think Cole Anthony is one of the guys that has the potential to have the biggest effect of that because there's been so many times in the history of March Madness where it's Akimba Walker or there's this guard, normally a veteran guard, who just takes over games, hits great shots, and it really boosts their value in the draft. It's going to be interesting to see how that impacts some of these players because there is such a short sample side there's so much emotion involved in drafting players, especially when you think they're going to be the face of your franchise. So I think he's one of the really intriguing guys that how much of that is going to affect his play, uh, not his play, but you know his draft status with, with, as well as a lot of these other players. So going over to college football, talking about quarterback prospects, this is one of the most exciting topics for me to talk about. I love the quarterback position in football. I think it's, in my opinion, arguably the hardest position in all of team sports. And this draft specifically, there's a lot of really, really good guys. I think there's two guys at the top that we'll get into, which we think are as close to top, as close to camp misses as possible, especially number one. So, Cole, who do you have as your number one quarterback prospect for the the 2021 draft? Yeah, this one's gonna be fun. We we love talking about way too early prospects, and especially this year when you've got the guys coming out um, that are coming out is going to be the fun part of this segment. But number one, I think, is not really a surprise for anybody that watches college football, and that's Trevor Lawrence. And for two years at Clemson in the ACC, many have argued that that's been a hindrance to maybe his projection of what he'll become at the next level. But you just have to look at the eye test with him. There's, there's really not much that you can pick at that is a negative. He has the size, he's 6'6", 220. He's got elite arm talent both arm strength and accuracy. He's mobile. You saw that in the college football playoff against Ohio State when he basically ran over their linebacking core, juked the guy in midfield, and went like 40, 50 yards to the house. Um, he's played in two national t- championships, won one of two. He's probably going to play in the third this year. So he's, you've seen him on the biggest stages. He's really not rattled in those types of games, which is a big thing when you're looking at a quarterback to be the face of your franchise, to help elevate your franchise. And I see with with the comp with him, I think his ceiling is going to be Peyton Manning. Now, let me explain what I mean. Not, I, I think he'll win more championships, more Super Bowls than Peyton, but they're very similar in size. Coming out of Tennessee, Peyton was considered at that time the greatest prospect since John Elway. And you look at all of their intangibles. Now, I think Trevor's more athletic, but he's like a modern-day Peyton Manning. He's going he's gonna to be elite the moment he walks in, the moment he steps through those doors of whatever franchise drafts him, he's going to elevate that team. They're going to be relevant immediately, just like Andrew Luck was with the Colts. He took them from the worst team in football to a division winner and the playoffs in his rookie year, and I see Trevor Lawrence being that guy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think when you look at Trevor Lawrence, for me, my comp, what I wrote down is what people think of Mahomes now. Because we mentioned a few podcasts back, like nobody knew what Patrick Mahomes was going to be. I think everybody who talks about Trevor Lawrence is basically saying 
he's the best quarterback prospect maybe we've ever seen. Like Andrew Luck, I thought he was can't miss. I think he really was a can't miss prospect. Obviously, he had injuries that plagued his career, but when you look at Trevor Lawrence, he does everything well. Threw for 3,600 yards last year, 36 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. He ran for a non-running quarterback. He still ran for almost 600 yards last year, nine touchdowns. He can really dominate the game in every facet. The other thing that I really like about him is the fact that he he reads the field really well. He doesn't look to run, but he'll go through his progressions, and if he has to, he runs. For me, when you think of can't miss, I think of the ceiling to the floor. And for me, when I think of Trevor Lawrence, the floor I look at is a Matt Ryan or a Matthew Stafford. Talk about Matt Ryan, came out from Boston College, right? Same type of thing. Maybe doesn't play in the best conference, but you look at the way he played the game, the, the reads he made. Matthew Stafford, to a lot of people, they said, oh, he's maybe had like an underwhelming career. But I think he's done a lot based upon the situation he's been in. Very similar arm strength. Both have cannons for an arm, make people around them better. And so I think he's sure thing number one. I don't even think it's debatable. Number two for me, I think this is where it's interesting. As of right now, I have Justin Fields. Now, I think two or three possibly could swap come draft time because storylines and statistics are so important. But for me right now, I have Justin Fields. I think he did a phenomenal job at Ohio State last year. I think one of the things that gets overlooked. He really did. Yeah, I think. One, he really did. I think I mean, one of the. For being, no, go ahead. For, no, no, for stepping in as a as his first year starting in college football, I mean, he, he put up absurd stats. Even though he was at one of the better college football programs in the nation, I mean, he was unstoppable. Yeah, I think you look at the situation he goes to. He goes to Georgia thinking he's going to probably take over that starting role, going to play in his hometown state transfers to Ohio State, doesn't have a lot of time to learn the playbook, and just dominates. I mean, you look at what he did statistically, you could make a case he was a better college quarterback than Trevor Lawrence last year. Now, still, I like Trevor Lawrence more as a prospect, but when you look at like the season, the single season stats they had and how dominant he was, I think because he didn't have quite as much talent around him as Trevor, you could make a case that he was the best quarterback in college football minus Burrow last year statistically. Yeah, I mean, he was the only quarterback. He's the only quarterback in college football history to have 40 plus touchdown passes in a season with only to three interceptions. So, I mean, it shows you that he's incredibly intelligent when it comes to the game of football. He's still young, so he's going to grow and develop in that aspect. But the fact that he only threw three interceptions in the Big Ten, where they threw the ball quite a bit, but the fact that he was able to come in as a first-year starter. And, again, you can argue that Ohio State has elite talent, and they do. However, this is his first year starting, and it was like he never missed a beat from high school. He was – him and Trevor Lawrence were like one-two with ESPN and, um, you know, different, uh, different scouting reports. It was like Justin was one in certain ones, and, and Trevor was one in certain ones. But, but if you look at – if you look at what you saw last year, you're right. You could make the argument that Justin was the better was the better player. Now, and I'm not just basing it on stats, but his ability to not turn the ball over as a first-year starter was super impressive. I mean, 41 touchdowns to three interceptions is really absurd when you think about it. And he's got he's got great size. I mean, he's 6'3", 220, going to be 225. He's going to grow, so he could get to 6'4". Um, but even if he doesn't, he's still he's still huge, and he's incredibly athletic. He's got a super strong arm, arguably the best deep ball thrower in college football. And so 
I think that he is closer to Trevor Lawrence than people want to give him credit for. Now, again, I think Trevor Lawrence is the cemented number one and should be rightfully, but Justin Fields, if you get Justin Fields, you're not getting like a hand-me-down version of Trevor Lawrence. You're getting a completely different player and you're getting a guy that this isn't, in, and I know people will think this is me throwing shade, but this isn't the 2012 draft where it was luck at RG3 where you felt like, okay, with either guy, you're going to get an elite quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. Whereas, and that didn't pan out. Obviously, Andrew Luck ended up getting hurt, which now has impacted the argument a little bit. But from a talent standpoint, I mean, Andrew Luck, there's no question that he was going to be the best quarterback in football um, once Tom and Peyton retired. But when you look at both these guys, I think if, if you get Justin Fields, you're not you're not getting anything less than what you would have gotten with Trevor Lawrence. I think it's just different, but I still would take Trevor. But I think it's closer than people want to say, but I do think Trevor is the best prospect says Andrew Luck by far. Yeah, when I see Justin Fields, I see a healthy Carson Wentz. Like, I see Carson Wentz when he's making that MVP campaign before he tears his MCL. I think he has a great deep ball, cannon for an arm, but he's more athletic, obviously, than Trevor Lawrence, I think. They used him really well at Ohio State where they didn't make him run, but if he had to have plays broken down, he can, he's elusive. He can run the ball. He was, I think, the number one dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school. Trevor Lawrence was a pocket passer. But when I see Justin Fields, what I like about him is, is he's not like the, the prototypical dual-threat quarterback to me. He still looks to pass the ball first. He'll run if he can. It's kind of like it's kind of like Russell Wilson. Um, I'd say he's more Russell Wilson than Deshaun Watson in that aspect where he really doesn't look to run. Right. He'll do it if he has to, but he stays in the pocket, has a cannon for an arm. For me, this is where it gets fun. I think number three – the fact that he's even in the conversation, I think, speaks to just his physical abilities and, and his tools. I mean, it's definitely the Patrick Mahomes effect. And I think there's no bigger benefiter of that than Trey, um, Trey Lance out of North Dakota. It could be Carson Wentz. I think it's more Patrick Mahomes just when you look at the athletic ability, the deep ball threat. But he's going to be super impressive. You look at last season, no interceptions. Also runs for a thousand. Also runs for a thousand. Yeah. Also runs for a thousand yards. So it's like even if you're playing, you know, not you know, Division One football. I mean, throwing no picks. I mean, that's hard in any league. That's hard. That's hard in high school. That's hard in Pop Warner. I mean, no interceptions. A thousand yards. Really was dominant for me. The tape is. It's kind of hard to watch the tape just because some of his balls seem underthrown a little bit. But part of me feels like. His guys don't look overly fast, so I feel like he's almost trying to not overthrow them. And so some of that's kind of hard to see because the, the the talent level that he'll be playing with at the NFL level is so different. But I think this year specifically, what he does statistically, you don't have to go, you know, no interceptions, but if you're 35 and 5, right, you rush for another 1,000 yards, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can kind of cream up and maybe if Trevor has a down year or Justin gets hurt, you know, can he actually, you know, sneak into, you know, a top five pick? Can he actually challenge for the number one spot? I think for me, it kind of reminds me of the draft a few years ago where it was Baker, it was Sam Darnold, and it was uh, Josh Allen. And, you know, there was, you know, leading up to the draft, people were like, oh, everyone's really high on Sam Darnold. He's for sure going number one. And then last minute was, like, oh, no, Cleveland really likes Josh Allen because he's athletic and he can run and he has the deep ball. And then last minute, oh, no, we're taking Baker Mayfield. So I think for me it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him and how high he can rise. 
And also, how far can he fall if he has a down year? Because last year, the numbers were just off the chart. You did, you did make a great point that he, the, the Carson Wentz comp to me is, is so similar, not just because of the school, but because of the physical ability that he, that he possesses. I think he has a greater resume than, than Wentz did. I mean, Wentz was hurt his last year at North Dakota State. And obviously this was his first season as a starting quarterback. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does in his sophomore campaign, but no interceptions. I mean, even at the FCS level is still so impressive. Um, it shows, it shows his ability to see the field and uh, to process information quickly, which I think is one of the most underrated uh, attributes to a quarterback. Um, I mean, we, we talked about this, I think in uh, prior episodes that Patrick Mahomes admitted that, this past season was really the first time that he truly, truly understood how to read defenses. And I, I'm not trying to advocate that Trey Lance already knows how to read defenses at an elite level, but the fact that he didn't turn the ball over um, and with no, or at least from no interceptions, that I think that to me shows his ability to process information quickly. And so at the next level, that's going to be one of his greatest assets. Um, but the fact that he's 6'3", 220, Cannon for an arm, super athletic, is you can't ask for much more. I mean, he's to me, he really is Justin Fields 2.0. He's just in the FCS. So we don't know is the level of talent that is around him that he's playing up against, is that something that is going to hinder him when it comes down to the the, the whole draft process and, and the coaches analyzing his game tape. But again, it didn't impact Carson Wentz, and he was hurt the majority of his last year. And he was the number two overall pick, and the Eagles traded up for him. So I don't think it will be a negative, but it could. However, he is the most intriguing prospect out of this whole bunch uh, coming up because he's starting to already rise on the draft boards. He's Mel Kuyper's 15th overall prospect already. And so if he has another solid year where he maybe puts up a little bit better of stats and he doesn't have to throw no interceptions to put himself in the conversation as a first-round quarterback. But if he does at least show growth, then he could potentially surpass Justin Fields, like you mentioned. I think the the best thing I'm taking out of this is giving my New England Patriots three potential franchise quarterbacks after the disaster this year. Um, so number, f- it would be fun. It would be fun though to see Bill draft a more athletic quarterback, just because you guys had Tommy for 20 years who is an absolute statue. So if you guys got any of those three, I mean, you guys literally are upgrading from an athletic standpoint uh, massively. And I think that could be fun for Bill. Do you think he lets McDaniels uh, run wild with stuff like that? I mean, that to me would be fun to watch. Yeah, I think there's definitely been like interest. And I think even when you look at like Garoppolo, he's not nearly the athlete that these three guys are. But I think he was obviously a, a way better athlete than Brady from from that standpoint. He's a guy that you can get out on a bootleg and stuff like that. So, no, I'd love to see it. I think you look at the division they're playing and there's so many young quarterbacks, it could be really, really fun. Um, now, getting back into the, the prospects, I think for me, number four is where it kind of drops off, in my opinion, pretty drastically. So I know my guy for number four, I have Sam Ellinger from Texas. Now, for me, I think he could be a very safe Potential franchise quarterback. When I mean franchise quarterback, I'm not talking about all-world talent quarterback, but I mean in the right situation, I think he's a guy that could possibly do enough 
to win you games. He kind of reminds me of kind of like a hybrid between a Ryan Tannehill and an Alex Smith. And what I mean by that is both those guys will they'll make a few plays in a game, in a big game, when you go, oh, that's an NFL play. Or, wow, that run surprised me, but it's not consistently every single every single play, every single game. You look at Sam, I think, from an athlete standpoint, he's a little bit more athletic than people get him, give him credit for. They ran him a ton at Texas, had over 700 rushing yards last year. The biggest question mark for me is not only arm strength, but it's accuracy on the deep ball. And so if you can get into a system where it's play action, um, you have a lot of talent around you, maybe you're a third, fourth round quarterback, you have potential to grow and develop. But I think after, at least in my opinion, once you go one, two, three, I don't see a surefire franchise quarterback. Do you have Sam at four, or where were you leaning to uh, after Trey Lance? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a different um, four here. So I have Brock Purdy from Iowa State. I love his game. He's obviously undersized. He's only 6'1", but he's really, really accurate, and he's very athletic. Um, and he's thicker, so he's kind of built like like uh, Baker. But, um, but I think him elevating Iowa State. I mean, Baker was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley in that uh, in that offense with the talent around him. Iowa State's not really known as an NFL factory. So the way that he's been able to elevate that that entire program to be really one of the better teams in college football last year has shown me this guy is has potential to be elite in this league. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think his ceiling is Drew Brees because of just not only his his physical stature, but his accuracy is a more athletic version. That would be his absolute ceiling. And I think his floor is like Case Keenum. So he'll be maybe a starter sometimes. He'll bounce around. But um, for the most part, I really like this kid. And I like his leadership ability. He's shown the ability to uh, elevate the guys around him. And so, again, those are tangibles that you can't really teach. Um, but I think number five, we share a commonality. Yeah, that would be Kyle Trask from Florida. I think what I love about him is he's a prototypical, I, I would say, franchise quarterback when you look. He stays in the pocket. He looks downfield. He'll be a little bit – I actually think for his quote-unquote like lack of athletic ability, I think he has pretty good pocket awareness. I think he moves throughout the pocket really well. But I love the fact that he, he looks down the field. I think the one question mark from my standpoint, not from a physical stature standpoint, he's 6'5", big kid, can take a pounding, but – his arm strength isn't quite where I would want it to be if I'm going to take a guy, say, first, second round. He kind of reminds me of Derek Carr, where he sees the game well, he makes really good reads, but he plays you know, 20, 30 yards downfield. He's not really stretching the ball, and I think as an NFL GM standpoint or a coach, it kind of limits the amount of game planning you can do. But also, you know, Brady didn't have the strongest arm when he got drafted. He worked on it. You can develop it. A lot of that comes to the work you do after college when you get to the NFL level. But I think when you look at him from the way he reads the defense, he plays in the SEC. I think he could be one of the guys where I don't think he's going to be Joe Burrow and throw 50 touchdowns next year. But I think he could be the one guy who had a decent season nobody really talked about and then possibly blew up and got into the conversation, especially if Florida has a better year with possibly Alabama being down a little bit with a new quarterback. You look at LSU, they may take a, a slight step back. Auburn, you're not really sure what's there. If he can get Florida to, say, be a 9-2, and 10-win team, there's a good chance he could rise in the draft if he can put up numbers as well. Yeah, he – and many of you remember that he didn't even start the season last year. Felipe Franks did, who now transferred to Arkansas. 
but he was kind of thrust into action, never been a starter at the collegiate level, hadn't started since early high school. And the fact that he came out and threw 25 touchdowns with seven interceptions, almost threw for 3,000 yards in the SEC, physically he's as gifted as you would want in terms of size. Now, you mentioned this. He doesn't have an elite arm for a guy that you would, you know, you see a 6'5", 240, you would think, okay, that guy's got to be able to throw the ball out of the stadium. But he's got an NFL arm, and so he can make all the throws. If he continues to improve his accuracy, the big thing to watch this season, in my opinion, is is he going to be able to uh, develop as far as an intellect from an intellectual standpoint, reading defenses, um, processing information quickly. Because again, as we've said several times about quarterbacks, these SEC defensive coordinators have now a lot of tape on him um, to make the adjustments, and it's going to it's going to be one of those things to watch. That if he can adjust to the adjustments, then you have a guy that could be a sleeper in the late first round or second round that um, could be, in my opinion, his ceiling would be a guy like Joe Flacco, which you would say maybe that's not a great ceiling, but he did win a Super Bowl. He you know, was a pro bowler. He's a guy that um, had success at the NFL level, but um, you know, I think his floor is it, pretty low. It could be a guy like Blaine Gabber, who was also physically gifted, um, but just really didn't pan out. Uh, in the NFL. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but, hey, if you can you can be a Super Bowl champ and a Super Bowl MVP, you know, that's that's not a bad deal. But um, he's super raw. So we'll have to, we'll have to see what's going to happen with this, you know, his upcoming season. His sophomore seasons really matter. And um, I think being in the SEC is going to be able to tell us, okay, is this, is this guy for real or is he – is he somebody who just kind of burst on the scene and had a had a he was a one hit wonder and had a solid year and then the following year ends up really going down in a downward spiral uh, and it in fact impacts his draft stock in a negative sense. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up our prospects for this podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We had a blast. Episode nine in the books. Please tune back in for Friday for our second episode of the week. We're doing two episodes a week, so every Monday, every Friday, we're going to bring you. Uh, the best content we can. Also, please uh, message us on Instagram at the Dustin and Cole podcast. If you have any questions, any topics you want us to go over, we'd love to hear from you guys and, and give you the content you, you'd love. So thanks again for tuning in and talk to you guys Friday.